I know people are always looking for great deals, whether it's for holiday gifts like Valentine's Day or anniversaries and birthdays and the like, including me. Many of us capitalize on the recent deals like from Black Friday and New Year's sales and so on, whether it's online or in stores. But many of us don't know that our sales and our deals benefit from one major industry, one that rakes in $11 billion annually. Nev, do you know what that industry is? Uh, um, uh, no. Tell me. Take some guesses. Oh, uh, I, uh, you got nothing today. I was going to say like human trafficking. (laughs) Whoa. Okay. Um, not where I thought you were going, but no, um, the $11 billion in goods and services come from the prison industrial complex, that industry. A report by the ACLU stated that 100 or 800, excuse me, thousand of the 1.2 million people that are locked up in this country are put to work. So of the 1.2 million people that are locked up, 800,000 of those people are working. This industry is booming, literally booming. Their employees or the incarcerated persons that we're talking about generally make 13 cents to 52 cents per hour. Nope, not per minute, not per second, but per hour. Incarcerated persons are making all kinds of things from military equipment to office furniture, paint and paintbrushes, so art supplies, electronics, airplane parts, and medical supplies. Some of these things we'll get to later, but essentially all of their hard work and all of the um, supplies that they're helping to build or put together or um, assemble in some way, contribute to this $11 billion that they're raking in by this workforce. But guess which five states pay absolutely nothing to their incarcerated employees? Guess guess which ones, Nevin? Just oh, yeah. Like oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like I'm going to get I'm, I'm going to do well. Okay, I'm going to guess ahead. Texas, Florida, Ohio, probably while in Indiana, and, ooh, Georgia. Ooh, you are, you got like two out of the five, I think. Damn. So Georgia and Texas, you said those, right? Yeah, for sure. So Georgia and Texas, correct. Michigan, I'm not surprised. Oh, wow. Michigan's a sleeper. Mm-hmm. I'm Alabama, oh. Arkansas. Oh, I should have guessed that. And uh, I think that makes five. So Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Michigan, and Texas actually pay their incarcerated employees zero dollars per hour absolutely zero Damn. and this work is exploitive because there usually is little choice in working versus not working it's not like an incarcerated person can say you know what i don't feel good today or i don't feel like it i'm not gonna do anything they they usually must work um that same aclu report stated that 76 percent were forced to work or face additional punishment if they didn't work so i mean i'm talking about like solitary confinement, loss of family visitation, or loss of opportunities to reduce their sentences just because they don't want to work for nothing or work for free in Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Michigan, or Texas. They 
get nothing. And so if they don't work and have to face this additional punishment, it's like a lose-lose situation. They can't, they essentially can't say no. And then 70% of incarcerated persons couldn't afford basic necessities with their wages. So the money that they are making, they can't even use really to cover basic things that they need while they're incarcerated. And then another 70% received no formal job training, uh, which means they can't, not only can they not choose what they want to do, but they may not be really safe in that role because they've not gotten the training that's required to do that role or do that job successfully and without injury or harm. And then finally, another 64% felt concerned about their safety while working. But, you know, n- nobody cares. <laughs> like, nobody cares because they're incarcerated. Dog, that <laughs> that's wild. Like, first of all, um, those states that not paying, um, I guess, especially hearing that the folks are only making 13 cents in the first place, it's all ridiculous. This is all like ridiculous. And then the safety concerns, it's, it's like, it's giving slavery, dog. It is giving slave. Absolutely. And actually, that's a term um, that comes to mind and is actually used when we talk about this stuff. Before I say that, though, I'll just say like, you know, there has to be an erasure just like just like in slavery or just like any sort of impression of peoples that you have to first not really see them as people or see the humanity Mm -hmm. in those people in order Mm -hmm. to treat people that way. Because if you really saw yourself in the people that you're incarcerating or the people that you're forcing to work, you could not do that. You could not force people to work in unsafe conditions. You could not pay them nothing. You could not force them to work at all, right? If you really saw yourself in them and treated them the way you would want to be treated. I think, you know, when people are either waiting for trial or being con- or were convicted of a crime, that house sometimes allows other people to strip away their humanity and be able to be the, you know, the judge, jury, and executioner and make them do and make them suffer in a way that is like totally inhumane, totally inhumane. And, you know, the ACLU, I love the ACLU because they bring issues like this to light. Um, and, and also in their report, they mention um, the 13th Amendment that in general protects U.S. citizens from slavery and guess what? Also involuntary servitude, right? But it excludes those that are being held due to a criminal conviction. And this exception clause was ratified at the end of the Civil War in 1865, encouraging, right, like this unintended consequences, or maybe it was very much intended, encouraging this country to criminalize and re-enslave Black people during the Jim Crow era. They're like, oh, okay, well, we can't actually enslave them and make a profit, right? Well, how about we just like lock them up and make a profit and enslave them and force them to do in, you know, involuntary servitude because they now have a criminal record and they're now behind bars. It is literally known as the slavery loophole. That is its actual name. Dog. You know what's wild, what's wild to me is that it is so hard, like um for for folks to work with and do research with folks who are incarcerated you know all the things and getting IRB approval and uh because they're seen as a vulnerable population um and yet right to the public eye like what you said how um they've been uh 
dehumanized so folks think it's okay or aren't paying attention or think like, well, they deserve it and, and th- that kind of rhetoric. Uh, but it's this is truly, truly wor- worrisome, especially when I think about the racial makeups of prisons also. Right. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that. And I think, you know, that's definitely a point that I was going to make. And I think because we're, we've both been in academia and done research and know how hard it is, I agree. Like to do research with incarcerated populations, you have to jump through a crazy amount of hoops. Like, and, and, and they tell us it's to protect those that are incarcerated, right? So that you are not forcing them to participate in something um, that they don't want to participate in. Right. Like, and so, you know, and I get that, right. You don't want to be running tests and experiments on people who have really no say in the matter. So I don't really understand how this is really different. Um, People need those same protections, but like to have them work, you pretty much can do whatever you want, ignoring any sort of kind of attention to safety. Workers are being exploited to make COVID-19 PPE. So if you remember during the height of the um, COVID-19 pandemic and people were struggling to find uh, personal protective equipment or PPE, you know, prisons and prison workers were making that despite COVID-19 greatly impacting those same populations. So they were making the PPE for us and they couldn't even get it. Uh, Like it's absolutely crazy. And then other populations, incarcerated populations had to launder bedsheets and gowns from those with COVID-19, like the patients that had COVID-19. Some of them had to transport bodies, build coffins, dig graves, like all of that. And despite, despite all of that work, they didn't get early access to vaccines. They weren't um, adequately protected from um, from COVID-19. And even though they were high-risk population, just given that all the people there are in close quarters. So yeah, like to, to be able to force them to work in crazy conditions, right? And not pay them or pay them very little and not have adequate protections in place is absolutely wild. We're in like slave states. Yeah, going back to that slavery loophole, I'm like thinking about so like, can they make overtime? Like, what about don't we have minimum wage laws? Like, why aren't those protecting or, you know, raising that rate of 13 cents um, higher? And like, just right there are also like, I feel like laws around safety and labor. So it's just, just, I I can't even fathom this right now. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely wild. Uh, unfortunately, for incarcerated workers, all of those things are non-existent for them, like all of them. So overtime, minimum wage, safety, it's fairly non-existent. In some states, you know, incarcerated people get paid nothing, like we talked about. And the ones that do get paid have 80%, can have up to 80% of their wages taken by the government. So the very people that are incarcerating them, right, are then taking or docking their wages for fees. And they'll charge them stuff like room and board. They'll charge them fees like court cost and restitution. So at best case scenario, they are left with less than half of their gross pay. And OSHA, if you um, have worked anywhere that have has those big OSHA posters about like what your rights are, yeah, for sure. right? Workplace safety. I would imagine those those posters aren't up in 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 prisons, right? Like they don't get to 
call any hotline when their rights are being violated or they don't get to report to their their boss's boss about um, any safety concerns. It's just non-existent. And the fact that they have to pay for room and board, right, when they're already being incarcerated, it's like, I'm working. I don't have any say in the matter of working. And then when I get the, the 13 cents, the measly 13 cents an hour, you're taking 80% of that to house me. It's just, it's just wild, Nev. Absolutely. And I know that shit in prison be expensive, dog. Like people having <laughs> to pay for phone calls, um, supplies for hygiene, and even medical care. Uh, I think about the times where I've, right, do you want to answer this collect call, right? Um, like it's it's just, ugh. so I what I'm hearing is that they make in cents on the dollar and those cents are going toward like these wild things such as room and board, room and board dog. I thought me as a taxpayer is paying that. Like I, it's, it's the math ain't mathing for me. Um, so it's like, even with the wages that they're making, they can't afford all this shit. Right. Like family members essentially have to fill in the gap. So if, if we're talking about an eight hour day, let's just like, throw some numbers out there. If we're talking about an eight hour day and they're making about 13 cents an hour, we're talking about a dollar and four cents for the entire day. If they're one of the luckier um, people that are able to make 50 cents an hour, we're talking about $4 for a whole day of work. And so we're not talking a lot about a lot of money here. No one who is incarcerated and working is going to be a millionaire, right? Like, we're talking about dollars, almost pennies per day. And so to take 80% of that, right, does not leave a lot of money for anything else. So family members have to stay in the stand in the gap, really. And these family members and people that care for those that are incarcerated spend nearly $3 billion on phone calls. Three billion dollars. I mean, that is just wild. Ooh. So, you know, all the all the things that families have to do to make this work and taking second jobs and third jobs and going into debt while the government's line their pockets is just is just crazy. I remember just thinking about, you know, personal personally and family members and friends, you know, email was cheaper. And when email was kind of getting um, off the ground, they would still have to sometimes pay for email and they could only have a certain number of people on their um, email list. So I remember when I was exchanging emails with um, one of our family friends and I wasn't exchanging emails fast enough or frequently enough, they had to take me off the list because they wanted to be able to, you know, interact with somebody more often and they didn't want to be penalized for that or the money that it that it costs to make a phone call. So if you're making a dollar and your phone calls are 20 or more, right? Like it's just not it's not sustainable. So that that incarceration is being felt not only by the person who's incarcerated, but everybody in their ecosystem. Again, that has to stand in the gap for them. And like as you said, like they don't get any sick days or time off as well. Nope. That, you know, the Fair Labor Standards Act that protects American workers does not apply to incarcerated people. And this is because their relationship to their employer, quote unquote, is considered, is considered like a penile, not a, um, an economic. Oh my God. Did I say penile? Do you know what I mean? Like penal. Penal. <laughs> 
Girl, Freudian <laughs> slip. What's on your yeah, mind? What's on my mind, y'all? This is wild. <laughs> Penal. <laughs> their their relationship to their employer is considered penal, not economic. Um, even though their employer is is very much making profit, right from from their work. So it's it's weird that the Fair Labor Standards Act doesn't consider this relationship to be an economic relationship. When again, the industry is making eleven billion dollars. Like, how can it not be? Definitely not the same, but it reminds me of the conversation that we had talking about college athletes and pay and if they deserve it. Like, like, listen, the reality of it is no matter what you first thought the relationship was, y'all are making money off the backs of these people. Like it is an economic uh, relate. It's both and uh, Mm -hmm. terribly and unfortunately, you know, uh, one thing that I think of as we're having this conversation if it was me and I got to choose, which obviously I wouldn't and they don't, but I'd be like, fuck work. I'm not doing shit. Like, I'm already stressed out in this prison. Y'all not finna stress me out more <laughs> with work. I think about, right, work, um, occupational wellness being a huge, like, factor in people's overall wellness. And so I'm just like, like working while being in prison must be an added stress. Like, you know, when people be having stressful jobs, they're like the last thing, I I just want to go home and relax. And they live at work and Mm -hmm. with these wardens and all this other stuff. So I know you kind of talked about it. Uh, I'm just curious about like the jobs that they do and kind of work they do. I know you talked about it with like PPE and stuff and making stuff and not having the protections. What is there other kind of work that they generally do? Yeah, and we'll get into this a little bit more later, but the craziest thing is that these prisons double dip. So a lot of people, a lot of those that are incarcerated and that are working, do a lot of maintenance work around the prison and other work really around the prison. You know, so they're like, the the prisons are seeing the fruits of the labor here, right? So if they're sweeping and mopping, you know, doing laundry in the prison, guess what? They don't have to bring in outside companies or they don't have to hire people themselves at at regular wages or at least minimum wage at the at the lowest to come and do these jobs for them, right? They're able to keep their costs super low because they're having inmates um, at 13 cents an hour sweep and mop and do laundry um, to keep those costs low. Others do work outside of the prison. So cemeteries, you know, working in cemeteries or parks, maintaining roads. So if you are driving down the highway, you see, you know, people in jumpsuits, that might be what you're seeing. Um, And I'm just thinking about like some of the popular TV shows that have um, kind of illustrated this, like Orange is the New Black. There was a number of characters that worked in the laundry, you know, in that in that sort of department or did other sort of things. And, you know, and I don't know, like I've never fortunately been incarcerated. So I don't know if it is a good escape. Like if you're just, you know, in your room or out in the yard or whatever for hours and hours, maybe it's nice to be able to get out and do other things, but not and not in an exploitive way, right? Not in a way where you can't, you're making money and it's not enough for you to, to pay for like very basic things that you need and not enough for you to make phone calls to those who love you or those who um, you love. Right. And so though that's the, that's the issue. And I think, Um, The other thing that was shocking to me is that more than half of the states in the United States um, 
say that they actually use incarcerated individuals for their emergency ops plans. So that means essentially like if the shit hits the fan, right, they're relying on incarcerated workers to help out the state, right? Um, So some are going to be working and some currently work as firefighters. And in 14 states, they are reliant upon incarcerated workers to put out wildfires. Like that is their plan. Like, oh no, we're not going to bring in other people from other states. We're not going to train people that are outside. We are going to use very low wage, you know, um, not trained incarcerated employees to do these jobs and not pay them. And again, not train them. So we're putting their lives at risk. And from for an emergency ops plan, it's that's horrifying to me as a, as a citizen in the United States that we're not going to train people in cases of emergency when we're relying on them to help, right? To help and to, and to do a job to make sure that everybody's safe. Wild. Dog, that's like, honestly, like hella sad. Like, I'm just like picturing that, like folks going into, right, um, like a wildfire with lacking training and like really having no choice. And that's like, that's like really touching me. Um, yeah, damn, that's like devastating dog. It's, it's beyond, it's beyond devastating. And, and it's interesting that you brought up the, um, our podcast where we talked about athletes, right? Cause it seems as though, right. These, um, areas tend to target and it's absolutely intentionally. So, right, areas where we are shuttling black and brown individuals into, right, into these systems. And that's why when we, when you and I at least talk about racism, we talk about it as a structure, as a system and multiple systems that are interacting. Because um, whether it's, whether it's schools, or whether it's prisons, or whether it's hospitals, or whatever, you know, these are the policies and practices that we are talking about that advantages and disadvantages certain people. Because if you think about who we disproportionately lock up, it's black and brown people, right? Um, and those are the people that we are exploiting for this sort of work. While you can imagine executives um, and those that are benefiting from these don't look like these same communities at all, period. Um, and in fact, uh, you know, I'm in business school right now. So learning about like taxes and, and loopholes and all sort of stuff that you can learn about in business school, unfortunately, in some cases, right, like employers are rewarded with tax credits, you know. So if they um, if they have an inmate work release program and they uh, cite that they are hiring risky groups, risky being those that are incarcerated or were just recently released, they are rewarded with tax credits because they've hired a risky group. And then they still don't have to pay for health insurance. They don't have to worry about unions. They don't have to worry about raises. Um, To me, this is an absolute subject of control, especially in black and brown communities. So I've hired you as a risky employee, even though you're incarcerated and have absolutely control of every aspect of your life. And then I get a kickback from the government for hiring you, quote unquote, hiring you. I mean, we know how to we we know how to play the game in this country for sure. For sure. That makes me think, is it just like folks in prisons too? Or is there other like vulnerable populations that they're taking advantage of? 
Yeah, it's a good question. And it's sad that you have to ask because I wish I could tell you like, no, it's limited to this one system and we can really work on the prison system. But actually, it's not. Sadly, it's not at all. Um, in the U.S. immigration uh, system, this is an issue. So um, detainees, including those that are refugees or seeking asylum, are at risk for this forced slavery because they are held in private detention centers. And these centers look for ways to cut costs. So think about this. You know, a, an asylum seeker, somebody who's been abused and is fleeing from their country, right, because of horrors and terrors that have happened in their country, are now being put to work, you know, involuntarily as a way to cut costs. Like, welcome to America, right, where we take advantage of vulnerable groups. This is how we This is how we do it. So even though they have not been convicted of a crime, right, because some people will come to us, I'm sure, after this podcast and be like, well, you know, they earned it or they deserved it because they're convicted of a crime, which is a whole other podcast, just because you're convicted of a crime, A, doesn't mean you did the crime, B, doesn't mean you should be there, and certainly not as long as we tend to lock people up. But so for those people who are going to come and tell us that, these are folks that have not been convicted of a crime. The only crime they they are guilty of is coming to the United States hoping to seek asylum and refugee status, right? Because of the horrific things that have happened to them in their home countries. And, um, you know, that's unfortunate because then that means we need to not only work in the prison system, but also in our U.S. immigration system. I mean, yeah. This is terrible, all around terrible. Um, I'm I, I and I am giggling out of like the sheer atrocity of it all. And so we talked about it being like prison systems, but you also shared that you know companies get a benefit. And I remember I saw a special when I was had to have been in high school about prison labor. So I know this has been going on for a while. And the special I saw was specifically about like clothing stores and companies that um, use prison labor. So can we discuss some companies and yeah, how- Yeah, why kind don't of you name labor? them? Okay. Why don't you name them? And if we know about the companies using prison labor, then we'll talk about what those are. Okay. So let's start with a thing that I'm known to love the most, I think, in our previous episode where we talked about fat phobia. Uh, we talked about fast food, so I'm just gonna. Yep. How about uh, I'm curious about like McDonald's, Wendy's, like how about those two specific ones? So let's start with McDonald's. Yeah, McDonald's has been known to produce, uh, have uh, prison labor produce frozen foods. So thinking about like the beef, you know, processing the beef for the for the hamburger patties, or um, processing the bread and milk and chicken products, prison labor has been um, involved in that for sure. Wendy's similarly. Um, Wendy's, I think what we know is they've been, prison labor has been used to process beef for the patties. And, you know, people might look their nose down and be like, well, you know, that's McDonald's or that's Wendy's. These are like kind of lower, um, you know, fast food sort of quality restaurants. So what do you expect? We're trying to keep the prices low. But even Starbucks, Nevin. So I know a lot of people, a lot of listeners. They they clutching their lattes right now, girl. (laughs) Tell them about it. 
Starbucks is not cheap. You know, you can get a drink for the same amount. You can get a whole meal at McDonald's. So it's not like they're trying to, you know, be on the same playing field as McDonald's, but also has been known. And I think they have since stopped, but at least we, we have seen that they've used um, prisoners or prison labor to package holiday coffee. Um, so to, you know, get that little, that those cute little packages you love, the red and green and the new, you know, the reindeers and whatever, um, prison labor has been used to patch it, package those holiday coffees. Yeah. What other, what other wow. places you think? Well, <laughs> Starbucks is one that you would think, oh, you know, they trying to do what's right, but obviously not. So let's go on the other side of folks have, <laughs> who have known to like not be great. What about Walmart? Yep. Walmart. Um, it's interesting. Walmart has uh, used prison labor as well. And it's to clean products of UPC barcodes. And I think essentially what this means is like they're they're using prison labor to kind of scrub those barcodes. So the barcodes that are used to scan up items, like to make sure that they're, they, they scan up correctly. Um, and I'm sure there are other products that uh, Walmart actually holds, right? Like all the different brands and stuff. Prison labor has touched it in some way, but the, the company explicitly, um, the barcodes is where they've been implicated in prison labor. Wow. Okay. Um, how about, um, I think about, you know, my use of Instagram and things, but I guess I'm using my phone all the time. Are there like phone companies? Yeah. So Sprint, AT&T, Verizon have been known to be used in call centers, actually. Um, So sometimes, you know, when you call for some sort of service or product or issue, um, prison labor has been known to be um, um, supporting those those services and just telecom services in general. So, you know, you never know who you're talking to. Uh, you think that they're making a decent salary. And so when you're going off on them when, and you're upset, right, like you have no idea. It could be a person who's incarcerated and making literally nothing. Um, and doesn't want to be in that job, oh, doesn't want to be in this job. Gosh, no, <laughs> this is terrible. I know the documentary that I referred to, I'm pretty sure the clothing, one of the brands they focused on was Victoria's Secret. Is Victoria's Secret still up to no good using prison labor? Yep. You know, somebody in prison could be sewing your draws, you know, like your your bras and your draws from Victoria's Secret. I, they still have been implicated to... Um, be using prison labor. And also, this is really interesting, especially for people that are like very proud to buy products made in the USA. I found that um, Victoria's Secret has also been known to use prison labor to replace tags that say like made in China um, with tags that are made in the USA. Because if the the product has already been made and the prison workforce is in the USA and they touch it in some way, even if it's not a meaningful way, even if it's literally just to replace the tags that say made in China or made wherever to made in the USA, they can do that. So they're used to literally replace the tags that say made in the USA. I'm like, that is wild. That is so scandalous. So you think you're getting a product made in the USA, made by somebody who is, you know, being paid a decent wage or at least minimum wage and none of that is true they they should say made in usa prisons so people know (laughs) right Uh, but honestly it being made in the usa with un you know fair wages and by 
vulnerable populations that are being forced, that could be one of the most American things. So, um, <laughs> which is terribly yeah. true. Yeah. Okay. Are there any just other ones? Because I I'm I can't think of any more. But are there other yeah. companies that we should know about? Yeah. And I think just, again, being surrounded by business, I think I'm thinking more and more about like finance and investments. So thinking like companies like Fidelity and other kind of investment companies, investment vehicle um, kind of service delivers. So money invested can actually help to fund prisons and fund a lobbying group. So money invested through Fidelity and other companies fund ALEC, when ALEC stands for the American Legislative Exchange Council. Sounds like okay. You know, it's like really nondescript. You have no idea what they do. So if you, you know, if you're investing in ALEC or investing money through the companies that will fund ALEC, take a look at what they do. Because um, it seems very harmless. But essentially, ALEC lobbies for laws um, that increase the use of manufacturing in prisons. So while directly, if you're, you know, the finance groups like Fidelity aren't necessarily funding prison labor, but if you invest in ALEC or invest in um, um, lobby gr- lobbying groups like ALEC, you're essentially putting your stamp of approval saying it's okay to increase the use of manufacturing in prisons. So you're funding prison labor in in some sort of way through the legislation or the lobbying of um of laws it's wild yeah it sounds like (laughs) it sounds like damn near everything has like prison labor in some way like yeah totally i mean in some way we likely all have been touched i'm not saying that you and i are saints and escape this you talked about you know the fast food that you love and i also like clearly use a lot of these products. And I think what's hard is we all in some way likely have been influenced or impacted by products produced by prison labor. And some of this is because there's not a ton of transparency, right? Like there's not a ton of transparency about anything in supply chains, but certainly not like where your food comes from, where your supplies come from. Just even like the Victoria's Secret example I gave you, you think that your products are made in the USA and you assume, right, that it's by an, um, a, a well-paid or at least minimum wage paid worker, but it could be pay- made in China and the tags could be switched. So it's really, really hard to have, you know, to be a consumer who's completely aware of where everything you buy comes from. It's, 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 it's difficult, right? Like to identify and trace these goods and services produced by incarcerated persons. Um, the exception, you know, there are some exceptions that are popping up. The exception is the prison industry enhancement certification program where there is some data on uh, prison labor projects. So you can kind of understand where some of this stuff is coming from. However, the agencies involved have to meet specific criteria. So that includes like prevailing wages, like making sure that people are paid a a good wage, even though remember 80% of this income can be consumed by the prison for room and board, restitution, court fees, so on. So they might be paid a decent wage and then 80% of it is gone. So it's essentially effectively not a decent wage anymore. Um, But there are some places that are trying to make, you know, these, um, these supply chains and where products come from more transparent. And even, you know, I wrote uh, an article, um, 
maybe a few years ago about hospitals and hospitals, you know, using a lot of the medical supplies that are produced by prison labor. And again, like we, you know, I wag my finger at them and said, Hey, like, what are you doing? You need to, you know, you need to divest from companies that you know that are using prison labor, but even as an individual, it's difficult to figure out where everything comes from, not giving hospitals or any sort of companies a buy, but I get why it's hard, right, to completely divest because you're not always sure, especially with the, some of the tactics these companies use. Damn dog. Okay, so we've talked about us clearly being a part of the problem. Um, our listeners as well, I'm sure we're all implicated in this. So can you throw out some solutions for us? Yeah, I mean, sadly, I don't have a ton of solutions because the process isn't super transparent, but there are people that are working on solutions and thinking a lot about this. I think at a minimum, you know, people have called for allowing and enforcing the same worker protections that um, persons that are not incarcerated enjoy. So, you know, like the same sort of minimum wage, the same sort of like work hours, the same basic protections that workers um, throughout the country have, like enforcing those and allowing those to be present. Some states like Colorado, Utah, and Nebraska have already ended the exception. So um, give allowing people right to to have rights like if they're if they're going to be incarcerated and uh, workers to have that and others in other states have said you know like the 13th amendment um like avoids or bans forced or involuntary servitude so they just ended that and said you know what this is forced we're not gonna allow this at all and some of these states are red states hooray so it's not um, specifically a political issue, right? It is just a human rights issue. Um, there's a website that I would encourage all of our listeners to go to. It's um, intheexception.com. So again, intheexception.com. So go look at that website and see what more you can learn and how specifically in your area or your sphere of influence you can help to be a part of the solution. And just overall, advocating for enforcing prisoners' rights, so the right to written consent forms, just like we have to do in research, um, wages and working hours that are comparable to those that are not incarcerated, as I mentioned, like the same sort of protections um, and benefits, the right to standard health and safety measures. This seems like to me an absolute no-brainer. If you're having people working in dangerous conditions, wildfires or fires or emergency planning, Give them not only the training, but put safety measures in place to keep them and everybody else safe. Like, that's basic. No brainer. Um, demanding companies create and adhere to, to stricter ESG standards. So um, ESG is environmental sustainability and governance standards. So these are new, are fairly new um, kind of ways in which companies are being evaluated. Like, how are you you know, um, giving, giving rise to these things. Like, how are you protecting the environment? Like, what are the things, the practices you're putting in place? How are you running sustainable operations and how are you being governed? And within those equity is supposed to live. So thinking about how you hold, um, the companies you're buying your products from to these same standards, the ESG standards that include workers and protections for their the um, prisoners who are who are producing their products and then demanding accountability in the supply chain i think COVID kind of blew open the door 
with supply chains, like things that we could get, we could no longer get and things that, you know, that were hard to get. There were, there were other ways now to get them. Um, and so asking for our companies to be more transparent on where they source their, you know, their fabric or their food and who's assembling the little microchips together and who is staffing the call centers and, and how those, how those things are, are being communicated to their consumers so that people can be informed and make better decisions or at least decisions that align with their personal values about what is right and what constitutes human rights. Um, and then finally, once incarcerated individuals are released, hiring them. I think what's really difficult is if you've worked in prison, right? Like, you know, it, you've made literally no money. You may or may not have gotten any sort of training and any sort of skills from those jobs. Um, and so then these incarcerated individuals essentially have to say that they are incarcerated. And some places have moved more towards banning the little checkbox that you have to check to say that you were incarcerated. Um, so the stigma of hiring somebody that has been incarcerated is, is, is more removed, right, when that's not there. But even when it's known, it is really, really hard for incarcerated folks to, you know, if you're 50 years old and you're coming out of prison and you have no skills, you know, no skills as the, as the current workforce sees it, how, how do you make a living for yourself? How do you keep yourself out of the revolving door that is the prison system in the United States, right? Like, how do you do that? Um, and the more and more that we, you know, shut, you shy away from hiring individuals that have had very, very difficult backgrounds or harder upbringings or whatever, you're pushing them back into those systems that continue to exploit them. So whew, is that enough? <laughs> oh, that's oof. damn dog. It just seems like we have a long way to go. And I feel like part of it is like awareness, like people aren't even aware. And so I think, right, hopefully this podcast sheds a light, but I'm still just like, this is absolutely terrible and there's much to be done. There is so much to be done. And a lot of my work, um, my research work in academia is about incarceration and specifically thinking about how kids are impacted by incarceration. So even if they're not incarcerated, but if their parents are. And one of the statistics that I have posted in my office is like, one in three, right? So a black boy born today has a one in three chance of going to jail or prison in his lifetime, right? And, you know, um, that that is awful. So one in three, right, chance of going to jail or prison and then being exploited once they're in prison to be working for the prison system in some way or the other. So we do have a long way to go, but I think as long as we start, we so so that means getting the knowledge, taking the action, right, and not being stifled by the fear to act and the fear to ask questions and the fear to push these companies to transparency and to even ask ourselves, right, like where am I getting this from, right, and and can I buy it from a company that is more transparent, that is clear about where they source their products from, even if it means I might have to pay a little more when I can then we we might gain traction and we might actually be able to turn this ship around. And I, and I really, really, really hope we do. Because at the end of the day, we need policymakers, we need citizens, we need podcast hosts and listeners, ad activists and advocates to get and stay bold. Period. Period, point blank, period. <laughs>